For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo! Rebels, it's that time! Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Hope you're having a great week. Man, do we have a good podcast for you today. Heather Avis is on the podcast. You should follow her on Instagram, at Heather Avis. She's got a book called Scoot Over and Make Some Room, and she advocates for her own special needs kids and then talks to parents about advocating for their special needs kids. If you have a kid, if you know a kid, if you've got special need kids in your area, even if you don't, it's such a great, man, it's such a good program. I loved listening to her. She was so helpful, and it really does broaden our perspective on kids and on raising kids. Let's dive into this. Here is Heather Avis on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. All right. Good morning, We are everybody. live. Rebels, so glad to have you with us today. Two shows in one day. I know. Busy it's day. Good times. Heather Avis on the broadcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate it. Mm. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we have been wanting to do something like this for so long. We have a lot of friends that have children with Downs, and it's becoming more and more normal for us, but it's not for everyone. And we wanted to have somebody to come on that was just honest and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and then could just kind of walk us through, you know, what you expected, what you experienced, how we can help, what we should know, you know, all the things that we step on landmines all the time. And in today's outrage culture, you know, we, you start walking on eggshells, like, well, I'll just do nothing rather than do the wrong thing instead of just trying to dive in and help out. So thanks for being on the show with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I am very non-offendable, so let's go. Awesome. <laughs> and by awesome. the way, happy to represent. Your book is so, <laughs> so awesome. Cute. Scoot over and make some room. It is so cute. The cover is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. <laughs> Creating space where everyone belongs. Fantastic. I'm an author, and so I'm really picky about books, and this one is brilliant. Love it. Love Thank it so you. much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That means a lot. Appreciate so, that. Let's jump in. Just tell us a little bit about your story. You know, how you got into adoption, how you decided to go down that road, uh, adopting children with Downs, you know, dive in. Yeah. So we couldn't have kids naturally. It's a super long story. I actually have a book that came out in 2017 called The Lucky Few, which is a memoir that lays out all the details of all of the story, but mm-hmm. couldn't have kids naturally, um, chosen adopt to go down the path of adoption, went with a private agency in hopes of having a little more control you know, the idea that we would have more control over the kind of child. We wanted a healthy infant Mm -hmm. at the time. And all of that was thrown out the window when we had a passing conversation with our social worker about a baby with Down syndrome. Mm. And it was passing because she knew that we weren't open to a child with Down syndrome. Our daughter also had a congenital heart defect. She had some really serious lung condition that we later found out was supposedly going to be incurable, like just a whole slew of issues. And so but we heard about her and couldn't unhear it. And mm-hmm. it just changed something in our hearts. Just there was a spark <laughs> for my husband and me. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So we ended up saying yes to her. It was my scariest and best yes. And it just catapulted us into this world of Down syndrome mm-hmm. and 
health issues and medically fragile children and adoption. And we have an incredible relationship with her birth family and just all of these layers that we got to be a part of and experience. And then fast forward, we decided to adopt again. And this time around, we were okay releasing some control because it didn't even matter the first time around that we wanted to hold on to control. We got the child that was the child we needed to have, you know? Mm, yeah. So we were open. Can I ask you a question about kids. that? Yeah. Because Laura and I, we had tons of problems. Lincoln, we had no problem getting pregnant hmm. and it was a difficult pregnancy. But then after that, we had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. I mean, it was really, really hard. And we started the adoption process and we did, we tried to hold on to a lot of control. Like we mm -hmm. had, but I always felt guilty. I always felt like I was a bad person for like only wanting this and wanting healthy kids and, you know, trying those mm -hmm. different things. Does everyone experience that? Do you, in the back of your mind, are you like, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? You know, all those questions that you have when you go down that adoption road. I'm adopted, so I yeah. love it, but I was also trying yeah. to control it too. Mm-hmm. I think that's normal. You know, I think that you, you know, you meet people, they're pregnant, boy or girl, what do you know? It's like, I don't care as long as I have a healthy child. You know, we want that for ourselves, for our kids. And that's not a bad thing to want. It's mm -hmm. not. And so when you're pursuing an adoption mm -hmm. to try to hold on to that and adoptions are, are crazy because you can control so much, you know, like that right. you can't control if you're having a child naturally. And so I think with an adoption plan that there shouldn't be guilt for feeling those things, but at the end of the day, holding it real loosely, mm -hmm. right? Like I, this is what I really, my heart's desire is. This is what I think the needs are for my family, mm -hmm. but I'm going to hold it loose and be open to another opportunity that may come our way. Mm -hmm. Because also, you know, with my daughter, she seemed said like, it all seemed so scary. It was all these things we we're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. And had we avoided it, oh my gosh. I mean, our lives would be so different and it probably would have been great. You know, had we wait, had we said no to her mm -hmm. and waited, and got the healthy infant that we were hoping for, I think it would have been great. But what we decided, what we stepped into is, is the best. And so mm. we would have missed that yeah. if we were holding so tightly yeah. to what we thought we wanted. Right. I think it's just that having an attitude of like, we don't know everything as humans. And yep. when you're going into the adoption process, you don't know everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. Each time around, you don't know everything including what you actually need. I feel like so many of us don't even really know what we need. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. once you have your kids, you can't, as all kids have difficulties and all kids are hard in their own way and you can't imagine your life without them. Mm -hmm. Like right. you get down that road and it's like, never. Well, and that's that happened to us. We got way down the adoption road and we were going to be able to foster a baby and then possibly adopt. Uh, there was a complication with her adoption and the family was trying to get a conviction overturned to secure their adoption. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you can foster the baby, but if they get the conviction overturned, you'll have to give her back. You know, are you okay with that? And I was like, I don't know. We talked to a lawyer and he said, this could be five or six years. She's already two. Can you give up a seven or eight year old? And I was like, no. I can't do that. Right. I'll fight till the move. death. And he's like, well, then you can't go down this road. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Mm. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's good to know your limitations. And, but also like, we don't know what the future holds. And one of the big things with our oldest daughter, when we said yes to her, we had had, again, there's a whole book about it. So it's a very long story, but we had interacted with, we had had a meeting with her cardiologist to try to get a better understanding about what her, all her health issues were because it, that was the biggest thing. Like by the time we learned about all her health issues, mm -hmm. Down syndrome was a back 
or an issue. Wow. Or like, who cares that she has Down syndrome? Right. Bring a baby into our home who's medically fragile. And what does that look like for us? And so we met with the cardiologist. We're like, okay, if there's good news, we're moving forward. If it's bad news, we're out. And it was all bad news. He mm. just said, this is really serious. She will absolutely need open heart surgery. It may not correct her lungs. She may be on oxygen her whole life. She may need medication her whole life. She may live to be five years old. I don't even know if she'll make it to eight. This is really serious. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, what in the world? And what made us finally say that big yes was a couple of things. It was like I had this vision of God presenting us with a package, and it's wrapped beautifully, and we unwrap it. And we're like, oh, this is what I wanted. And that, like, who does that? You know, like that this was a gift. And then I thought about my friends who had babies, and I thought about my nieces and nephews. And I thought about that if my sister or my friends, if my sister knew before she had her kids that she was only going to get to live a day or a week or a year or 10 years with them, she would do it, yeah, right? Like once that child sure. is here and it's your kid, it's like, oh my gosh, I will take anything. What an honor. <laughs> yeah. It's how we felt like mm. if we get to live a year with her or five years with her, we get to be the ones to do that. What an honor, you know, what yeah. an honor. And of course you don't want to wish anyone lose their child. I mean, no. that's just horrific. Not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we no one knows what's going to happen to our kids tomorrow. Not to be morbid, but yeah, you know, like you adopting a child with disability. Well, your neurotypical able-bodied child, something freakish could happen, and tomorrow they're not. Mm-hmm. Yep. And right, they're still your kid. You yes. know, and you love them, and you do what you're going to do. And so, anyways, mm. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That, and that's, so you yeah. have us. You adopted again. Yeah, a son. Um, so we or? went. So we have two more adoptions. So oh, okay. we went to the next one just arms wide open and then um, got a little girl placed with us. No health issues, no special needs, no, even like no drug exposure in utero. She was like this little anomaly within our county adoption process. I know she's got some birth family stuff. That's hers to tell when she can hold it and tell it. Mm -hmm. And so we said, yes, she's African-American and Guatemalan born in California. All of our kids were adopted out of Southern California where we live. And a couple of years later, um, got a phone call about a woman who was seven months pregnant and got an in utero diagnosis for Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect and wanted to cre- needed to create an adoption plan. And so we said yes to that and walked those last couple months of her pregnancy with her and then got to be at the hospital a few hours after our son was born. And mm. he came home at two days old. Um, Whoa. I know. <laughs> he was just two nights in the hospital and then he came home. And he's now five. Wow. It's so awesome. (laughs) So through this process, I mean, that's just awesome story. How have you learned to, because I know there's other moms listening and they want to be advocates for their children. How have you learned to be an advocate for your quiver? Right. So I find myself in a space having two kids with Down syndrome and then a little girl who's African-American and Guatemalan. And my husband's also Caucasian. So she's the only brown skinned girl in the home. Mm -hmm. And I found that advocacy is no longer a choice for me. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. to be able to choose advocacy or not is actually a real privilege that people Mm -hmm. who have that choice don't recognize. It's a privilege that I would hope everyone would step into and choose that. But for most people who are advocating on behalf of themselves and their people group, they don't have the choice. They wake up in the morning with an unequitable space in the world mm. and they're going to have their need to step into the world and advocate for themselves and people like them. So, and as a mom, you know, you're I'm not going to like, I'm just not okay with the fact that all three of my kids are given an inequitable space in the world mm. and as seen, are seen as less than 
And so that's, I mean, I don't really have the choice anymore to mm. not advocate. Yeah. yeah. And it is my honor and privilege to get to do so, totally. for sure. How much pushback do you get when you try to advocate for kids or when you have in the past? You know, you want to do it, you're going to do it, you're being proactive about it. Yeah. What kind of attitudes and pushback do you experience? It depends on where you're at. Mm-hmm. And it depends on what you're advocating for. So, I mean, the big picture is I'm advocating for my kids to be seen as fully worthy, fully capable, and yeah, I mean, basically, basically those two things and fully human as they are. Mm. And if they're seen as those items, then then the rest of it should unfold in a way that works for them and works for us mm-hmm. and works for the world. So, I mean, one of the biggest ones is schools. School systems are not built for kids with Down syndrome or kids with different abilities mm. in mind. Yes. And so it's not a broken system. It's a system that never worked in the first place for my kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to change those systems that are have been around forever, you know, and that are so deeply rooted in everyone's community and society. And the public school, it really is the hub of the community. Right. And so, so trying to go into those spaces and say, you're actually, we need to change all of this. Mm. It's a pretty impossible task, feels like impossible task. Yeah. And it's required the most of me in terms of an advocate, Mm. in terms of my advocacy. Mm -hmm. So they just, I mean, You've got kids in school now, but when it started, was the option for them just, oh, no, no, we don't take kids with Down syndrome in our schools. That's just not what we do. We're not going to have them in our classrooms. What do they expect you to do? Where do they expect your kids to go? Hmm. So there's a separate class, a special education class. So okay. 100% they're welcome on campus. And over the years, there's been lots of laws put into place um, in the 70s that Individuals with Disability Educational Act, IDEA, uh, was put into place. And, it, and so there's, there are laws in place to protect people with disabilities and give them the same rights as everybody else. And one of those, a lot of those laws apply to schools. So schools cannot say you cannot be here. Private schools can say that. Public schools cannot say you cannot be in in our school. But the solution has then become, well, we need to have something that works for the population. So then there's a separate classroom. And the intention behind it is it makes sense initially But then we're seeing like for my kids in particular, well, how does this translate into their lives? Because they don't live in a special world, you know, like they're not in a special community. Right. They're not going to grow up and go to like the special grocery store. So how do we take this Mm. from kindergarten all the way through high school and then they're done and then what? You know, like, no, they're part of their community. Mm -hmm. So in order for them to be a, a member of their community, they have to be a member of their school. We call it a citizen. They need to be a citizen of their school. And you can't be that if you're in a separate space. Mm. You're segregated. There's separation there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the biggest thing we're fighting for. And so there are laws in place that we can pull up, but a lot of them are written purposely to be left to interpretation. So oh, yeah. that's where it gets tricky. Sure. You know? sure. And <laughs> with regards to that education and separate classes, are there known benefits for children with Down syndrome to be in a different class or segregated? Like, do you know the different? Right. Yeah. So there aren't actually a ton of studies out there okay. on the benefits of, of that, that, oh gosh, we could go so far into this. There are some though. <laughs> okay. Um, the, it's the idea that a kid with the, with Down syndrome. So we'll just use my kids as an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My daughter is in fifth grade. She's 11 and she is, reading at a, at a pre-K level, she probably has 200 sight words. Mm-hmm. She's not writing yet. 
her name is still illegible. She's not wrote counting past 50 yet. Okay. Um, she's not adding, she can do simple single digit addition with support. Mm-hmm. So you take those academics and then you think of a fifth grade classroom mm-hmm. and then it's like, of course, we're doing everyone a disservice if she's in that classroom, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that she can learn and she has goals. There's a thing called an IEP, an individualized educational plan that yeah. everyone with a disability, yeah, their kids have those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can be from like a speech delay all the way up to an <laughs> intellectual. Yeah. Well, there's a different reasons that a oh, child yeah. has an IEP. Yeah. But that's a legally binding document in place to protect people who have an IEP so that they have access and opportunity and that mm. they have accommodations and modifications goals right in. And some of the goals academically, at least they're not fifth grade level. So then how do we marry those two? Why would we put her in a fifth grade class? Yeah. Because she's a fifth grader right. because she's yeah. 11 yeah. and because her deep need as a human being is the same as all of us. She wants to be known she wants to be seen. She wants to connect with others. Mm-hmm. She's not going to do that in a separate classroom where maybe there's another fifth grader. Probably there's a couple third graders and fourth graders. And she's looking outside the window like, well, wait a second. How come I don't get to be here? Yeah. You know, like, where am I supposed to go? So then the, the radical thing we're saying for schools to do is she can be in this space with accommodations and modifications. and She can have access to curriculum but we're going to have to do it in a very different way. Sure. So in terms of your mm-hmm. question, sorry, I can get very long-winded in all this, is it's great. there are studies out there that do show inclusion is a great model, yeah. not just for kids with disabilities, but really for the general population. And there are some states that do it really well, mm-hmm. some districts that do it well. California is terrible at inclusion and inclusive practices. There's really? two schools in the You'd entire- You'd think they'd be mm-hmm. great at it. <laughs> you would. Kelly. You would. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So there's two schools in the state that I know of that do that are built on an inclusive model, meaning they're intentional and purposeful, mm-hmm. having neurotypical peers learning with kids who have intellectual disabilities. So, mm-hmm. well, I love the distinction you said earlier about like they don't get to grow up and go to the special grocery store. Yeah. That just makes so much sense for mm-hmm. me listening and all our other listeners. Like, oh yeah, think it through. Sure. Sure. As a mom with kids in public school, do you worry about teasing? Do you worry about bullying? Have you experienced that? And how do you advocate for your kids in situations like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it brings me, the thought of it brings me to tears. And it's as they get older. I mean, younger kids are so accepting and, I mean, mm-hmm. they're super curious, but sure. they're also easily appeased, you know, in within their curiosities and mm-hmm. so much more open, which is why it's so critical to start when your kids are from day one exposing them and having them in proximity with people who have different abilities. It's so mm. important. I mean, it's going to happen because it's happening to all kids, right? Yeah. Sure. And I just send her out very prayerfully. There's a lot of communication between the staff and me. I go into the classroom. I'm actually going in, t- in this week and talk to the kids about Down syndrome without my kids in the class. So I have a kindergartner, mm. my son, has Down syndrome and then my daughter's in fifth grade and I'll, excuse me, I'll meet with both classrooms Mm. and talk about Down syndrome. They've been in class now with Macy with our kids for about two and a half weeks. So open up the discussion, like any questions that they have. I think a lot of the teasing and a lot of that stuff kind of springs from fear Mm -hmm. and you know, the kids are afraid of something that they don't understand or they don't know. And so then if you make light of it or make fun of it, you can distance yourself in a way that feels safe. Mm-hmm. And we're just saying, hey, any questions you have are good questions. Let's let's get rid of all these fears by 
answering the questions. So Mm. that's one way. And then, you know, if I get word that she's being made fun of, I just show up with my taser and just start (laughs) zapping. Mama bird shows up. That's awesome. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting. What's up, Rebels? You ever watch a commercial and you think to yourself, what? It can't be that easy. I am so skeptical by nature. I got to tell you, our new sponsor, Policy Genius, is as easy as they say it is. PolicyGenius.com is their website. September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most people aren't aware of that. I wasn't aware of it until I read it. And that's why over 40% of Americans don't have life insurance. Right now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. Once you apply, Policy Genius actually handles all the paperwork and the red tape. I've been through the process. It was super, super easy. My goodness, I wish I had PolicyGenius.com when I quit my last job and was looking for insurance. It is so much easier now. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you with home home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance. So if you need insurance but you haven't gotten around to it, National Life Insurance Awareness Month is as good a time as any. And go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes. You can do all of it on your phone. And you're on your phone right now, right? Listen to the podcast. You're hearing this. Stop it for a second. Go to policygenius.com. Click on that link get your insurance. All right. God bless. Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us? So many people listening have families with kids with Downs in their church or in their community, and they just think, I just don't know what to do. And I think most people opt for doing nothing instead of doing the wrong thing and making someone mad or hurting someone's feelings. What do you wish everybody knew mm-hmm. about your children and about your situation? What do you just wish, like, are there five things, like, if you knew this, <laughs> it would make it so much easier with us? Mm-hmm. Sure. So with Down syndrome specifically, in terms of what the general population who doesn't have a child with Down syndrome, what they, yeah. what I wish they knew, mm-hmm. that Down syndrome is an asset. That's number one. We live in a culture and a society where we still see Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, or all these different autism, limb differences, whatever it is, we see those things as a deficit. This mm-hmm. is a bad thing. We've got to shift our thinking and see it as an asset. Down syndrome is an asset. When you see my kid and you see that they have Down syndrome, you think that's amazing. There is something incredible about them because they have Down syndrome. Mm. I want people to say hi, say hello, mm-hmm. come up and say hi. And it, depending on the situation, if you go to school with me, introduce yourself, mm-hmm. set up a play date, be intentional, make sure that we're a part of your space. A lot of the pressure for play dates and all of that kind of stuff, it's on us as the parents who have a kid with a different ability. We're trying to hold that all. Mm. I don't think I have five things, but that's all right. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then we're just, we're the play date one is just, a big deal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a huge play date one is yeah. a big deal. We did a play date a couple years ago. And the mom just in passing was like, oh, yeah, we don't really do these very often. And I was like, what? Why? Like, your kid's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I still don't know why. I still don't have any idea. But it was a shock. And you could tell they were impacted because we reached out and we're like, let's have our kids play together. They Mm -hmm. like each other at school. They'll like each other out of school. 
Yeah. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. deal. Kids want kids to play with. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think the why for me is because I can't trust that the place I'm sending my daughter into is going to be a safe place for her. And I can trust and know that she's going to respond in a way that the family and the children aren't used to, to something, to something. Yeah because of who she is, the way she re- responds to the world, mm-hmm. she's just going to do something that might seem off-putting or might make someone uncomfortable or maybe she has drool coming down her chin or maybe they're eating watermelon that day and she's going to be covered in watermelon juice or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say to parents is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like it's mm-hmm. okay to be uncomfortable <laughs> in a situation. That's great. It's not okay to avoid it, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And... And then learn together. Like my kids are walking into spaces with this expectation that they are going to bend and flex and go out of their way Mm -hmm. to make the world work for the world's sake. I'm saying to parents, I need you and your kids to bend and flex and go out of your way to make a situation work for my kids. Mm. Yeah. You know, the truth is, Heather, I think we should do that for all kids. A hundred percent. I think there's been this... In a way, sometimes we view kids as an inconvenience. You know, we've got a very compliant child and one that's got a stronger spirit. And (laughs) typically, the strong-spirited ones get controlled more by authority, parents, and society. And I just realized it just takes longer. Mm -hmm. The strong Mm -hmm. spirit takes longer. And it's harder. And it lasts longer than I wanted it to. It's not as easy. And who cares? It's my kid. This Mm -hmm. is the person that's going to grow up, and especially in the home, we have to make it safe for them, and as the adult, we get to bend for them. We get to Mm -hmm. figure out in context what's going on. I was talking the other night. My wife, Laura, has been through cancer, and I realized every now and then the kids would just go nuts, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure it out. They would act so ugly, and they would fight, and they would bicker, Mm -hmm. and they would just do things they never did. And it dawned on me one day, it's when chemo got really bad and Mm. mom was in tons of pain. And at five and 10, they didn't have the skill set or the tools to deal with that kind of pain and grief. And they would just flip out. And I thought, oh, me too. I just go in the garage and cry so nobody sees me. And they do it in front of me. And you don't punish stuff like that. You bend for them because it's hard. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. And the thing about all of it is I feel like I'm stepping into the world saying, hey, everybody, you need to do all this hard work. And I think people, no one wants to do hard work. So it's like, yeah. why? Well, because this is universal work and you don't mm. recognize mm. like the needs that my kids with Down syndrome have. They're the same needs that everybody else has. Right. Like your kids have the same needs that my kids have. Mm-hmm. My kids are just responding to the world differently. And if we're allowing our kids from a young age opportunities to grow in that area of like, this kid is so different from me and I'm having to change, like teaching our kids to be adaptable and flexible and creative. Mm. Oh my gosh, those are life skills that are going to go with them forever. Forever, for sure. yes. And yeah, and when they're an adult in a situation with somebody who's making them feel uncomfortable, it's like, oh, but because of my experience with people who are different than me my whole life, because my parents set me up for success, I'm adaptable and flexible and creative. I can face this head on. Mm-hmm. I really believe and know that we're just better off as humans when mm-hmm. we do life with people who are different than us. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So what are some other values that be living in that tension or that uncomfortable spot? What other things are you seeing like gifts and that you've witnessed? So living in that tension, I mean, it, 
you just get to learn so much mm. when you're willing to sit in the tension yeah. and be uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really is for me, I just have such an appreciation for humanity. Wow. Um, like what it is that makes somebody human. I have so much more grace mm. and leniency and forgiveness in the best ways yeah. for individuals and people groups. I mean, I sitting in the tension like that and choosing it, I believe the best in people in a way that I haven't before. Like I, I can genuinely see the best or believe the best in, in a person or a people group. Mm. Empathy and compassion. I mean, the list goes on and on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Hmm. I've got friends that have recently adopted Children of the Downs. What are some of the things you can tell them? What are some of the pieces of advice you can give them? Mm-hmm. Uh, things you expected, things that were unexpected, you know, whether it's hard or good. You know, I think sometimes we go into, I certainly did with cancer. I remember when Laura was diagnosed, I was like, we're going to get through this. We're going to be strong. And I got, I mean, I got kicked in the teeth. I just got knocked on my <laughs> rear so bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And that made me better. Because I was so weak and so fragile that I had to learn a completely new way of being. Mm -hmm. So for those that are thinking about it or are initially, you know, brand new to it. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things Mm -hmm. you can tell them? So as much as I believe in and preach that be around people who are different than you, you have to find your people. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if you're in a marginalized group or if you are raising a child who is finding your people is so important as a place to go back to. So we're big proponents on ourselves as as a family and for our kids being in a space with people who are different than us. We're real, real big on that so that we can learn and grow um, and become better humans. But then I have to be able to go to a space where I'm known and I don't have to explain myself Mm. and my kids don't have to explain themselves and they don't have to turn on or off. And so finding a Down syndrome group is huge and they're everywhere and they're the best and you will have no problem. You have no problem finding a space on social media or if not physically, we are a strong village and it is awesome. So I'd say get in there however okay. you need to, however you can. So the in-person groups and the online groups. Yep. Um, build that community. And then, and also they're like going to be your greatest physicians and doctors. You know, it's like yeah. my kid has whatever. You're going to have like 20 moms. So like my kid had that. This is what we did. <laughs> yeah. That, that's just parenting too. So yeah. I got to um, ask, like, let's talk about that. What's that like going to a pediatrician when your child responds differently than like my kid would? You know, they're going to be asked questions or different things like that. And they're, you know, metabolically or physiologically, they're a little bit different too. Yeah. It's funny with professionals where I feel like I'm teaching the professional things. Yeah. And, you know, I think for any mom, but especially a new adoptive mom of a kid with Down syndrome, trust your gut and your instincts and your voice. Like, know your voice and trust it Mm. for your kid because there is a chance that you know more about Down syndrome in your kid than someone who is a professional and Mm. seems like they would. So then be bold in that. Mm. Own that. And then we have to prep our kids ahead of time for a lot of things. So we do things called social stories, which... If you have a kid with Down syndrome and you're not familiar, do a little Google search on social stories because there's a, a right way and a wrong way to do a social story. And basically, we're just setting up a social situation with letting them know with visual support, like this is what's going to happen. This is what's expected. This is the outcome. And those are things we have to do with our kids that a lot of people don't have to. We don't have to. It helps set up like a doctor's appointment or the sure. dentist mm-hmm. yeah. for success. And, mm. and then we just do the best we can. I mean, my mm. 11-year-old's still hates the dentist and she barely got a cleaning in last week Mm -hmm. and there was some hitting and kicking and you know having to like hold her down 
And so our mantra, one of our many, many mantras is next time, not yet. Mm. And I encourage people raising Mm. kids with Down syndrome to take that on. It's not yet. So my kid's not walking, not yet. yet. My kid's not Mm. eating, not yet. Like add that not yet to everything because our kids, all of us, but our kids are lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. It's like Mason's not writing. Not yet. I'm not going to say to 11 year olds, oh, she's never going to write. She's a lifelong learner. So it's just not yet. I love that. That's perfect. Next time, not yet. Yes. And I think all parents deal with this thing where it's like, no, we have to fix it right now. We got to fix it because it'll be forever. And it's like, no, no, it's not. I mean, my son was colicky. Remember? Yeah. He slept in one of those little vibrator chairs. The little hoop bed mm -hmm. that vibrated. vibrates. And we had people say, oh, you shouldn't let your son sleep in that. And I'm like, well, he's not going to be 16 sleeping in a vibrator chair. Yeah. But people would like come up to us at conferences and events and be like, you know, you can't let, it's going to cause sleep problems. You can't let your son sleep in that. This is going right. to, I was like, he doesn't need vibrate bed at 16, but he doesn't sleep at all right now. I'll yeah. get right. anything. I drove thousands of miles <laughs> in the car <laughs> because he would sleep in the car. Hey, you'll sleep totally. in the car. Great. I'll drive. Yeah. I'll drive to Denver, yep. which is an hour and a half north. And then I'll drive all the way back down and I'll drive to Pueblo, which is an hour and a half south. I'll do six, seven hours in the car. I don't care. You he know, gets right. that amount yeah. of sleep. Yeah. yeah. And someday, so neither kids slept in the night regularly till they were five, but they do now. Uh, less. You yeah. know, they do now. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. It's a season. But sometimes we get stuck in that immediacy of like, no, 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 no. If we don't do this, it'll be forever. Like, no, yeah. maybe not. Right. I maybe not. Yeah, it's true. And so many with raising kids with Down syndrome, our seasons last a lot longer. Yeah. Our okay. kids are a lot slower. Uh, not all, but most in reaching most milestones. So our oldest mm-hmm. daughter, Mason, was almost three when she took her first step. And it was like, she's never going to walk. Oh, my gosh, this is never going to happen. Because mm-hmm. it feels like that in the moment. So right. just remembering. Right, right. You know, like it is, it's seasonal. It's And it might take longer. And that's okay. You It'll talked about that with potty training in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Potty training's the worst. Potty training was the worst. And is that... Typical Uh, for children with Downs? It can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about potty training, there's like the intellectual piece to it. And then a lot of it is muscles Mm -hmm. that need to be used. And people with most people with Down syndrome have hypertonia. And so they are hypotonia, which is low muscle tone. So it's, there's so many pieces there for potty training. And yeah, but also then our son, August, he potty trained so fast and like really early very quickly Hmm. so every kid's different but mason was a nightmare (laughs) with august you were like yay i can't believe it and you're like gearing up for the gearing up for the long haul and then he just does it and you're like "Ooh, very different good times i know i'll say i told my husband when we found out about august if we were going to adopt him or not one of my very first things i said is i am not potty training another kid with down syndrome like I don't know if I can do that again. I'm not doing it. And so the universe or the Lord or August knew. And he really did almost potty train himself, which I don't tell a lot of people who have a kid with Down syndrome potty training because it's hard. It's hard. It's the exception to the rule, right? That's the thing. And we paid our due. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. Hey, I've got a question. My kids have grown up around children with Downs and children with autism and some different things like that. Every now and then, I don't, they'll ask me questions like, well, why doesn't he talk? And I'm like, um, mm-hmm. he, uh, 
and I try to explain it and to be gentle. What are the things that we tell our kids about inclusion and about, they're just a different kid. You know, they learn differently, they talk differently, they advance differently. You know, as Lincoln got older, he would develop faster than a friend of his that was on the spectrum. And he would just ask honest kid things and I didn't have yeah. great things to say back. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. Our kids are the best and they're so good at asking questions mm-hmm. and it's great. And I think it's all of us parents that are like blowing it for everybody for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> in that regard. The easiest and biggest blanket one would be, oh yeah, because everybody's different and that's what makes everyone, that's what makes this world so awesome. Mm. They're just learning different. They just talk different or yeah, they're different. You're different. But uh, here's a great example. One of my friend's sons has Down syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. It's a dual diagnosis. And he just started kindergarten and she just posted on the first day of school. He is a sensory seeker to an extreme mm-hmm. and he laid on the warm cement and was licking it mm. and the kids the five-year-olds are like what's this and she said he loves how bumpy things feel do you like how bumpy things feel mm. and it's like oh yeah i do yeah. you I know do. or yeah oh yeah i don't and that's okay too mm-hmm. and that idea that which is why it's so important to start so so young is like that's the oh, thing yeah. yes that's the thing when you were saying it that's what i wanted to say because the younger they are the more they're like oh yeah I like bumpy, yeah. warm things too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like my friends and I would get out of the pool and lay on the concrete and be like, it's warm, right. it's warm. Mm-hmm. And then move to a new spot that was dry. Oh, this is warm again. And totally. yeah, for Same. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the, well, why aren't they talking yet? That's a big one. Cause people yeah. with Down syndrome, I usually talk later. Oh, everyone communicates differently. Mm. You know, like what are other ways that we can interact or yeah, you're right there. He's not talking yet, but I bet he can say some things. Why don't you go say hi, ask him his name. He can't say his name. Oh, that's all right. Why don't you tell him your name? Ask him if he wants to go swing. You don't have to talk to swing. You don't have to talk to play chase. You don't have to talk to do a million things. You know, you don't have to talk to do awesome. that you can find, build friendship upon and find commonalities with. But yeah, they're just different. Everybody's different. That's what makes us awesome. Mm. Yeah. Just taking the stigma out of anything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It is. It's such a great lesson to learn with kids and adults. Mm-hmm. So in restaurants, how should we behave around you in restaurants? Mm-hmm. What would you wish people I mean, around say, you knew? Educate yeah. us. Yeah, I just say hi. My oldest daughter is very social, so she's going to ask you your name. And <laughs> depending on the timing, she might have food in her mouth. <laughs> she might not, you know? Like, we're working towards social appropriateness like everybody is with their kids. Sure. <laughs> yep. But if you're sitting behind us in a booth, she will turn around and touch you. So then, hey, how's it going? What's your name? I mean... The simple idea of asking someone their name is so much more powerful than people give it credit. Mm. So, hi, what's your name? Nice to meet you. And that's it. You yep. know, we're not we're not in restaurants to eat with strangers. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think life would be better if we did, which is <laughs> yeah. why my daughter's so wise. Yeah. And then just assume in every space my kids step into, I said this already, assume the best. Like see them as an asset, believe that they are awesome mm-hmm. and don't like people coming up to us like, oh, you guys are such saints or, oh, my goodness, you have your hands full or I could never do what you do. None of those things are compliments. None of those are yeah. are the foundation of those is not kind. Okay. Correct. Well, yeah, because it lends itself to being the deficit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I got to ask that for those who are new to adopting kids with Down syndrome or having kids on the spectrum, you have to have had run into situations in restaurants or in public where someone acts really ugly. Mm. What are the things you can do as a mom in those situations? Like me, 
Laura knows there are times where people have said inappropriate things and I'll just turn around and walk away and let Laura handle it because I will throw blows. <laughs> yeah. I'm not nice when it comes to being mean. I'm really like, if you're going to be mean, yeah. you're going to catch these hands, you know, like, and I know I can't handle myself in some situations. So because you love your kids. So I was in a park when Lincoln was little and this kid kept pushing him down, just pushing him mm. down. And I was like, this oh is it. And the parent wouldn't do anything. Yeah. And so Lincoln was standing near me and the kid comes running over like this. And I just put my hand out. He ran straight into it, hit the ground, jumped up screaming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that man hit me. That man hit me. And the parent wow. looked over and I looked at him like, yeah, what do you want me to do? Your kid is pushing my kid down. You see it. You're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I had to step in. Too bad you didn't step in. But when someone gets ugly to your child or says something inappropriate to you, how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never real blatant. Thankfully, I think people are polite enough. It's usually a little more passive. And what I would say to parents and what I've learned is you've got to choose your battles and you are not responsible for other people and their reaction. That is not your responsibility to hold. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it's way too heavy. I held that way too long for that. I felt responsible for people's reaction to my kid. Right. That's not mine to hold. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on there's so many factors, right? Like if yeah. I've got all three kids with me, then I'm walking away or just like, <laughs> and just a nothing. I've got nothing to share at that point in life. But a lot of times we defuse things with humor, you know, like mm-hmm. we'll get a lot of like, Oh, you know, they're going to be with you forever. It's like, Oh my gosh, I hope so. That's going to be awesome. Have a nice day. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't have a lot of time <sighs> for people who, and you got to ask yourself, how remarks. are you supposed to respond to something like that? Exactly. Right. Like what's the proper response? Oh, thank you. Right. Th- so should I leave them here? Should yeah. they- Right. Mm. You know, free kids in a box. Like, my gosh, what do yeah. you, oh, mm. I yeah. know I'm going to get Even angry. yesterday we were talking with, the, we have a social worker for something that our kids are a part of, but she's like schooling us on how to be with our kids with Down syndrome. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to listen. Like, I don't, mm. she had no idea what she's talking about. Sure. She was very limited. It was all based on, there's an easy word here, stereotypes. stereotypes. And it's like, yeah. I don't need to educate her right now on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's yeah. other times where I'm talking to people and it, and I do, you know, I do need to talk like people first language. Please refer to my child as a child first. That's really important to my kids. Mm-hmm. It's important to me or having to remind kids or having to remind people, Oh yeah, my kids are different. Isn't that awesome? Or, Oh, they actually can do this, you know, mm-hmm. or that, Oh, they're not doing it yet, but they can do and fill in the blank. I don't think parents who are raising kids with down syndrome, need to be educating the world constantly in that kind of setting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Well, we just (laughs) thank you for educating us. And I've learned so much on this show. And I just thank you for what you're doing. It's just been I appreciate the honesty. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, the honesty. When we were reading about the potty training in the book, (laughs) I can remember feeling that way about my kids sleeping through the night because they just didn't for so... Lincoln was colicky for seven months. Like Uh, he cried all day and all night for seven months. And I just thought I would die. There were times where I just thought if I lose one more minute of sleep, I will collapse. I'm going to die. And the season ended. It just was a longer season than Mm -hmm. I was expecting. And so your honesty, you know, when you were talking about the potty training, things like that, I think there were times that I got choked up reading it because it's like finally someone's being honest with us. Finally mm. someone's mm. not sugarcoating the whole thing and talking about how beautiful and amazing it is at the same time. It's everything. It's mm-hmm. both, right? Yeah. 
It's both at the same time. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons my kids with Down syndrome have given me is we're going to be holding the hard and the good, the messy and the beautiful, all of it at the exact same time. Like wow. figuring that dance out, mm-hmm. it's powerful. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, and I like it opens the world to such a bigger place mm-hmm. for people and yeah. humanity to step into. I just love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Heather, thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. We love having you on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Heather for coming on the podcast today, for sharing her wisdom with us and her family. It's really vulnerable to share your family online and on the podcast, and we appreciate that. Thank you to all the Rebels sharing this with their friends and families. If you know anybody with special needs or anybody that lives near someone with special needs, definitely share this with them. I think it will bless them like it did us. Also, thanks to our sponsor, The Voice of the Martyrs, helping those being persecuted for the gospel for more than 50 years, Bibles, resources, staffing, all kinds of stuff. Persecution.com is the website for The Voice of the Martyrs. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.